and welcome to ACS Synthetic Biology's podcast for September 2015. I'm Ranjini Prithviraj, Managing Editor of the Journal. This month's podcast will highlight articles published in the latest issue of ACS Synthetic Biology. Join us every month to hear from the authors themselves and to learn more about the rapidly growing fields of synthetic and systems biology. Also, follow ACS Synthetic Biology on Twitter at ACS Synbio for the newest just accepted papers and the latest in synthetic biology news. The September issue of ACS Synthetic Biology features nine new research papers and a technical note on accurate DNA assembly and genome engineering with optimized uracil excision cloning. I have with me Dr. John Duber, Assistant Professor of Bioengineering and a Principal Investigator with the Energy Biosciences Institute at UC Berkeley. Hi, John. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. To start, what makes yeast such an attractive host for synthetic biology? I think there's a lot of advantages of, of using yeast, uh, for, especially for metabolic engineering. It has well-known procedures for fermentation scale-up. Uh, it's a hardy organism that can grow on inexpensive and raw media, which is particularly important for applications like biofuels, where you want the production host to grow on uh, raw lignocellulosic lysate, Uh, that has growth inhibitors. Uh, Yeast can also grow at really low pHs that many contaminants can't grow, and it doesn't have known phage contamination uh, that can be a problem for bacterial fermentations. But also for synthetic biology in general, it has superior genetic tools, uh, in particular the ability to do very efficient homologous recombination for manipulating uh, at the chromosome level. So we can put devices into the chromosome for stable expression, or we can also do uh, knockout uh, using modern methods like uh, CRISPR-Cas9. Uh, and I guess finally, it's, it's a pretty simple eukaryotic model system. It still uh, has organelles and uh, eukaryotic expression machinery, but it is single-celled and still can divide fairly rapidly, about two, every two hours. Uh, so that also makes it able to express many animal and plant genes that we're interested as synthetic biologists uh, that express better in eukaryotes than in uh, bacteria. Now, in your paper in this issue, you describe the development of a versatile engineering platform for yeast. Could you tell us more about this platform, how you developed it and some of its applications? Sure, sure. Uh, well, we really adapted a Moclo Golden Gate method. So we're not, we're not making the method strategy de novo. We're building off of the already published Moclo Golden Gate methods. We are really uh, choosing, I think intelligently, the, uh, the overhangs to use so that we could put multiple devices, uh, multiple parts, like it together very robustly. And uh, we made this in a iterative uh, cycle method where you first make parts, then you put those parts together uh, with promoters and terminators to make what we call an expression device, and then you can do a third round that puts those multiple part expression devices into a a longer multi-enzyme expression device. And all that can happen in as few as three days. So we can go from oligos to a multi-gene expression device in as little as three days. Uh, very robustly. 
Uh, and the students that did this project took great care to choose overhangs that were uh, chosen to be both very efficient but also orthogonal to one another so you don't get misassemblies, uh, getting parts that will ligate to other parts in an undesired manner. Uh, so I actually really think about this uh, similar to uh, BioBricks, uh, same, same uh, philosophy holds that uh, we standardize the, uh, standardize the ligation protocol so that you can make a part and then you can uh, assemble that with any other part that was made with the same scheme. The difference is just that it's like doing multi-assembly bio-breaking uh, using this Golden Gate method. Uh, so uh, it's, I think, really powerful. The one thing you have to be aware of, though, is that uh, each of the parts that are made have to be designated for a particular location in your final construct. For example, a promoter part would always be what we call part two. And a gene or ORF is always going to be a part three, and a terminator is always going to be a part four. Because each of these parts have a, has a designated overhang that will only assemble with the adjacent parts. So a part three would assemble with a five prime part two, and at the three prime region, a part four. Uh, and then additionally, we utilize connector parts that flank these uh, promoter and terminator parts in our expression devices so that those connectors will designate the order of your multi-gene expression device. Uh, so it's flexible towards what backbone vector you have as well as what other expression part, uh, part expression devices uh, you want to mix and match together. You also looked at the amount of variation and expression for plasmids and chromosome integrations. What were your conclusions? Yeah, so uh, that's a really important point for uh, synthetic biology, and I think everyone in synthetic biology and metabolic engineering know that a problem with plasmids can be uh, variation in expression or noise. Uh, so we want to quantify this, uh, look at how big of a problem this is. Uh, so we did this by comparing chromosome in integrants with SENRs plasmids, which are supposed to be uh, roughly one copy per cell, probably more on average two, uh, two and a half copies per cell, and then a high copy plasma called two micron plasmid. And we did this by, uh, on each of these different copy number, we have the expression uh, using three different expression level uh, promoters for two different fluorophores, so YFP and RFP. And uh, this is figure seven of our paper. Uh, you can see in the chromosome that you get really nice, uh, compact uh, uh, grid of expression where you would expect for that low, medium, and high for each of those, those fluorescent proteins. But when you go to the plasmid-based systems, you start to see a spread of expression level. Some cells will express much higher amounts of these two fluorophores whereas others will have lower. Uh, interestingly, if you're only putting one plasmid in, they, they are uh, correlated. So if you have high expression of one fluorophore, you'll also have high expression of the, the other. Uh, and then that 
that spread gets larger as you increase the copy number. So for the two micron high copy plasmid, the spread is much larger. But when you go to two plasmid systems, that spread starts spreading out in, in all directions. So there you no longer get a correlation of high, high amount of expression of one fluorophore. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll get high of the second fluorophore. You might get low of that second fluorophore. Uh, so it becomes a much bigger problem uh, this noise, whereas in the uh, chromosome integration, putting into two different loci maintains the same tight expression regime. So I think the bottom line of this is uh, that it's extremely important to be putting our devices into the chromosome so we have tight expression control and don't get wide cell-cell variability. And finally, what's next? What do we have to look forward to? Yeah, so I think maybe the, one of the most important parts of the paper, uh, maybe even more important than the, the uh, cloning scheme that we, we use that we hope other people will, will adopt, is the characterization of parts. Uh, so we made in this paper uh, a 96-well plate that we've now made uh, open access at at Agene uh, that has parts that we think would be ones to get started with for controlling expression level in particular. Uh, so different promoters of varying strengths. Uh, we particularly wanted to cluster the promoter strengths uh, with diff populate those promoter strengths at, with different sequences. So you could use different promoters that would lower the, um, the risk of undesired homologous recombination occurring. Uh, and similarly, we have multiple terminators that, that give robust uh, mRNA uh, so that you can change the sequence of those terminators. You don't have to reuse the same part uh, so that you can avoid homologous recombination. And then for the, uh, this obvious need for going into the chromosome, we also characterized a couple methods of, of putting these engineered devices into the chromosome. One using uh, CRISPR-Cas9, and another method that Virginia Cornish's lab uh, showed a, a few years ago uh, using a homing endonuclease to similarly make a double-strand cut. And remarkably, you can use the CRISPR-Cas9 to be just as efficient at integrating into the chromosome as uh, a plasmid transformation. Uh, with the homing endonuclease method, you actually are about twofold more efficient at integrating into the chromosome than doing a, uh, using the same reporter gene as a plasmid transformation. So I don't, with these methods, I don't think we're limited anymore for going into the chromosome. Uh, we can in fact, go even more efficiently, which is great news for, particularly for work where you want to integrate large libraries uh, to test large, large sets of devices for the best performance. Uh, and then for knockouts, we tested multiple, uh, the Cas9 method for multiplexing, for how many can we knock out simultaneously. And in our hands, we show that we can robustly do three. You can push it to four. Uh, but the uh, efficiency drops going from three to four. So I think the, all this character, characterized uh, tools for doing 
expression and for chromosome modification. I think those are the tools that are going to be valuable to people. And uh, we're excited that we're starting to hear from Agene that many people are requesting these uh, this toolkit. So hopefully it will also grow where people make their own tools and also put them into uh, places like Agene where other people can, can access them. That's great. Thanks, John. And thanks again for being here with us. Oh, no, my pleasure. Thank you. To learn more about the authors of the manuscripts in our current issue, please see the Introducing Our Authors section on the web. Read this section to get a young synthetic biologist's perspective on their research. That's it for this month's show. Join us again next month for more ACS synthetic biology highlights and interviews with our authors. To learn more about the journal, please visit us at www.acssyntheticbiology.org. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, goodbye.